Good morning, Providence. Turn to Luke chapter 9, verse number 10. The title of the sermon, which I did early in the week, is called The Final Exam. After the, the bulletin was printed, uh, I wish I'd been able to change it to Passing Out Bread. That's the uh, title that I wish I had. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 10. I'm going to read some uh, statements uh, before we get to the reading of Scripture. And these statements are, are important for us to think about. The feeding of the 5,000 is a physical picture of all spiritual ministry. It's a living parable of spiritual ministry. Secondly, our calling to serve and obey Christ is impossible in our own resources. It's an impossible task. Third, to attempt spiritual ministry outside of Christ is futile. You might as well go to Dulles Airport, run down the runway and start flapping your arms. That'll be about as effective as trying to do spiritual ministry without Christ. Number four, through the power of Christ, our services accomplish the impossible. Now unto him who is able to do how much? Exceeding abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think. That's what Christ does. We do nothing. Number five, I think. I don't have these numbered. The most gifted and talented of us are insufficient for what God has called us to do. You figure out who the most gifted person in this room is for whatever task God's called them to do, and they are nothing. Number six, and I love this one, and this is why I want this title, all any of us are doing is passing out bread. That's all we're doing. That's what I'm doing up here this morning, passing out bread, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And finally, the end result of all ministry is the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what we're aiming for. Now, there are some lessons that we seem to need to learn over and over again, no matter how many times we learn them, um, a lesson, there comes a time when the Lord sees that we need to go back through remedial training, right? Back to the basics. What are some of these basic lessons that Christians sometimes forget to remember? Well, how about this one? We forget to study the Bible, not remembering that God's Word gives us life. We forget the power of prayer, not remembering that God's blessing is ours for the asking. We forget that we cannot make it on our own, not remembering our deep dependency on the Holy Spirit. We forget that we do not have to work our own way to heaven, not remembering that God has accepted us in Christ. We're all legalists at heart. We're all performance-based. How many of you have gone to the Lord in prayer and thinking, man, God, I was so bad today, I shouldn't even pray? You big legalist. We're all legalists at heart, aren't we? 
We forget how much God loves us, not remembering that we are His sons and daughters. We forget that our Father knows best, not remembering that He has a sovereign plan for our lives. And we forget that God will provide, not remembering His promise to give us our daily bread. These are things that we forget. And the apostles had the same problem. They thought that they had just come off an internship and they'd learned a lot. Remember last week? Last week, he sent them out and he said, I give you authority over healing and demons and they're coming back all heady and it's like, oh man, Lord, this is awesome. This is really great. But in reality, what Jesus is getting ready to do is give them a final exam and they failed. Let's stand and, and we'll read. Of course, Christ redeemed them. But let's read what uh, the Scripture says, beginning in verse number 10. I guess if I turn this on, it works better, doesn't it? So, all right, here we go. There we go. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provision, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. <laughs> they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are able to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Lord, I pray that you will, through your Holy Spirit, the power of Christ, bless this message as all I do is pass out bread. In Christ's name, amen. So the, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of two miracles that's recorded in all four Gospels. You have the feeding of the 5,000. The second miracle is the miracle of the resurrection. All four Gospels record that. And so therefore, the feeding of 5,000 is a very important um, miracle. Now, the thing about the feeding of 5,000 is that in each gospel, there is a different lesson and a different point that the gospel writer is trying to make. And we're going to see what Luke is trying to do here in just a little bit. You already know because I told you. But the but disciples have been quite busy because Jesus withdrew with them for some rest. Luke doesn't say it, but the other gospels say they needed to rest. And so they went to a desolate place to rest. They must have been exhausted. But Jesus' servant-hearted leadership shows that 
uh, through when the crowds followed them. They were able to, they knew exactly where they were going. The Sea of Galilee is not that large. The boats had, were painted with different schemes on them. And so they knew what was Peter's boat. They knew which boat Christ got into. And, and so the crowds followed him around. And, in, and Christ, instead of asking them to wait for a couple days and say, you know what, we're on vacation, give us a couple days, we'll get back to you, um, asking them to go home, Scripture says, and I emphasize it, he welcomed them. He was willing to be inconvenienced and interrupted. And as long as he had an opportunity to preach the kingdom and perform its miracles, he was going to do it. The way Jesus welcomed these people reminds us of something for ourselves, and that is that we can go to Christ at any time. He will listen to our cry for help. And it also sets the pattern for our own ministry as well. Even when we are tired and weary and we want to take a break from other people and their problems, um, we need to be ready to give them the gospel and to help them in any practical way uh, we can. And I'm sure many of you have been to a point where somebody comes, they need advice or they have a problem, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm exhausted. I can't think anymore. I don't have any more to give. And that is where the power of Christ comes in. His strength is made perfect in our weakness, isn't it? Jesus was always ready to receive people in need. And when he received them, he was always able to help them. Luke tells us that Jesus cured anyone and everyone who needed healing. There was not one single case that he could not resolve. And this is a powerful testimony to his grace. There, it means that there is hope for everyone in Jesus. Because he's able to save anyone who comes to him for hope or for help. And this is true for us spiritually, as it was for the crowds medically. By the power of his grace, Jesus is able to forgive our sins renew our spirits, comfort our sorrows. He's able to touch the wounded heart, and um, he's able to make us whole. Now, with all this as a background, we're introduced to a difficulty. If you will, look at verse number 13. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. Now let me just say something. There are a couple different locations where scholars say the feeding of 5,000 happened. And I can tell you one thing, in none of those locations is there a village large enough to handle these people. Not one. They're, they're villages we're talking about less than a thousand people in the whole village. And the sun's going down in a rope place, and the disciples realize that they have a huge problem on their hands. There are 5,000 men. The crowd is possibly as large as 20,000 people. 20 times the population of, of uh, any of the surrounding villages. Their solution is to send the people away to find their own provisions this is a massive problem isn't it how do you feed 20,000 people I mean you know what the holidays are like how do I feed eight people or 10 people or 15 people in one day 
And they got 20,000, 5,000 at least, maybe 20,000. So with this, Jesus responded with the final exam. Now notice, he didn't ask them a question. That would have been nice. He, he said, but he gave a command. And the statement Jesus made was emphatic. The emphasis is on the word you. Now just a little, can I give you a little um, inside baseball on Greek, if you don't know Greek? In Greek, um, the verb many times has the pronoun attached to it. So when you read Greek, you can just read the verb and you know what the pronoun is and you just say the pronoun. When there's an emphasis, they give the pronoun. Their pronoun is humais. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. It was an emphasis, you, not anyone else. Don't send them away. I want you to give them something to eat. The very idea sounded absurd, especially when we learned that there were about 5,000 men not including women or children. How could the disciples provide food for all the people? Apparently, they had already looked around and they found five loaves and two little fish from a little boy. We know that from the other Gospels, right? Hardly enough to go around. They didn't have enough money to buy what was needed. Feeding everyone would have cost a fortune, about eight months' wages, according to Philip. Especially for men traveling who didn't have money. They were being provided for, apparently, by um, rich women who had been converted, well-to-do women. Out of the abundance of their hearts, they were giving to Jesus Christ. These men had no money. The only reason the disciples mentioned the idea of buying groceries was to show how impossible it was. Imagine going to Safeway and saying, yeah, I need to feed 20,000 people. I don't even think they have enough food in that store to feed 5,000 people. The, this is to show how impossible this task is, show how ridiculous, it was a ridiculous command that Jesus gave them. Absurd. The trouble with the disciples was that they were looking at things from a merely human perspective. They were acting like men without a God. How many times do we do that? Thinking only in terms of what they had on hand. What they had the ability to provide for their own resources. Not considering the power and the providence of their God. We have to learn that lesson over and over and over and over. We learn it we say, God, I've got it. Five days later, we're going right through it again, right? And that's just like us. God calls us to work that is impossible. What, what is it? Maybe it's to evangelize family or friends or neighbors. Maybe God calls us to teach a Sunday school class. Work in children's ministry. Join the music team. Or it could be far more personal. It could be something like love a spouse who is not lovable. Honor a boss who has no honor. Whatever it is, it is impossible in our own resources. And it is when we know that we are at the end of our own resources that we're ready to see what God will do. Sometimes our problem is just the opposite, though. 
We have an inflated view of our giftings and abilities. And so we just trust our own abilities and we say, don't worry, Jesus, I've got this. We would never say that out loud, but the way we act brings that out, right? I want you to notice how, what Jesus did. Verse number 14. There were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets full. Everyone was astounded. Now, most Christians have heard this story so often that we forget how utterly amazed the people must have been. They knew that Jesus did the miracle. It went through that crowd like wildfire. He started with five loaves and two fishes. Look at all this. I am stuffed. Are you stuffed? Yes. I don't know if stuffed is a Hebrew term or not, but um, something, right? In the South, uh, they say it fulls a tick. I don't know. Some people I'm really close to, I've heard use that phrase. But uh, the, the tense of the verb indicates that Jesus kept breaking bread and breaking bread and breaking bread. The more he broke it, the more there was for everyone to eat until finally everyone was satisfied. Five loaves were multiplied to feed 5,000. To put this into perspective, imagine the logistics involved in planning a meal for 5,000 people. Better yet, try to imagine 5,000 people show up unexpectedly for dinner. Then imagine trying to feed them from the leftovers in the refrigerator. Now, he told the disciples to feed them. And what did they do? They looked around, checked what kind of money they had. They looked at their own resources, and they they had zero solutions. You ever been there? I'm there. I got no solutions. God, I don't know what to do. This is all yours. When they obeyed Christ, literally all they ended up doing, think about it. When they obeyed Christ, when Christ said, you feed them, and then they started, what did they do? They passed out bread. That's all any of us are doing. And that's great. We're just passing out bread. Christ was there doing the real work of providing. And that is the way ministry is. Whatever Scripture commands us to do, we are to obey. We don't have the ability. We don't have the resources. But in the end, all ministry is just passing out bread. That's literally all I'm doing right now. Children's ministry, next service, that's all you're doing, passing out bread. Music ministry, passing out bread. Small groups, passing out bread. Feeding, 
somebody who needs a meal, literally passing out bread, right? Helping somebody uh, who needs help, you're passing out bread. Uh, Counseling, ministering, however it is, serving someone. All you're doing is passing out bread. Christ is doing the real work through you. Makes it sound simple, doesn't it? I looked over the sermon last night. I was, I, I was texting the elders late last night. I looked over the sermon last night, felt just like the disciples. This is a rich passage. Rich, rich. And what's in my heart, I tried to write it down, and it's not there. I'm reading over this thing thinking, this doesn't even capture what's in here. It doesn't. It doesn't even capture what's in Scripture. But over and over, I've had the experience of watching Christ break bread in the background and provide for everyone who hears whatever sermon is being preached. And He'll do the same for you. God, I, I hardly, I don't feel like I know the Bible, but I feel you're calling me to preach. Well, then go pass out bread. Lord, I need to evangelize my neighbor, but I'm not real good with the gospel. Go pass out bread. I'm having a hard time loving this person. Go pass out bread. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to have all the answers. We're not called to have all the abilities. We're called to obey. And when we obey, as meager as our abilities are, when God works, He gets all the glory. The most obvious meaning of this miracle is this, and this is what I'm leading to, God will provide. He provided for His people in the wilderness. He will provide for us, not in the same miraculous way perhaps, but in the same powerful grace. We need to remember this because we're tempted to forget God has promised to supply our needs. Both as a church and as an individual Christian, He will give us daily bread, providing food, clothing, and shelter. He will meet our needs for friendship and fellowship. He will give us guidance that we seek in faith. He will provide a way for us to serve Him. And when God gives us the opportunity to serve, we will give He will give us all the resources we need to fulfill our calling. We're not limited. Listen, please listen to this. We are not limited by what we have on hand. Never are we limited by what we have on hand. We have the eternal power of the God of the universe behind ministering. And God works powerfully through His Holy Spirit. And we are enabled by the power and providence of God to minister. Isn't this wonderful? It is absolutely exciting to me. Secondly, God's provision is abundant. (laughs) Can you imagine how long did it take them to feed everybody? Jesus, I need more bread. Jesus breaks it out. They take off. Jesus, I need more bread. I know, this is like my 35th time coming back. I need more bread. They just kept coming back to Jesus. 
passing it out. Maybe, or maybe they just started passing it and it just kept multiplying. I don't know how the miracle worked. Doesn't matter, does it? But God's provision is abundant. They kept coming back for more food. Every time we went back, there was always more. And even after everyone was fully and finally satisfied, and by the way, that was unusual in the day too. That was an important point that Luke is making. Most people um, lived day to day and, and just got subsistence. Very rarely did people eat and get completely satisfied. But there was more left over, 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. In other words, there was one basket of leftovers for each disciple. This is a powerful object lesson for them, I'm sure, because I am quite certain that the weight of those baskets was indelibly pressed into their mind. God had provided far more than they ever expected. And when we think of the the uh, feeding of 5,000, we probably think first of uh, material provi- um, provision, but that's not the only uh, meaning of this miracle. What else does this miracle teach? It teaches us about the power of prayer, doesn't it? That is why we emphasize prayer. That's why we want you praying. We want, we want prayer to be the culture, and it doesn't have to be moms in prayer, Wednesday night prayer, Sunday morning prayer. It could be Sunday school teachers getting together and just having a quick word of prayer before you go out. It could be a family praying before they go to church or a family praying before they go minister to another family. It can, it can be the music team. I know the music team gets together and prays before services. Whatever it is, we bathe it in prayer because we are nothing. And God is everything. Jesus, what did he do? He didn't worry. Where am I going to get all this food? The disciples were the ones that were anxious because where were they looking? Right? Jesus, where did he look? And he wasn't worried at all. The Bible says that he prayed and he gave thanks and he got busy. Another lesson this miracle teaches us is that we have a part to play in the work that Jesus is doing on earth. We have a part to play. All of us, every single one of us has a part to play in what Jesus is doing on earth. Jesus was the one who broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples to distribute. He could have handled this himself. He could have done it just like he did in Exodus. By the way, John's gospel, John chapter 6, that's the emphasis. The manna from heaven in that gospel. Couldn't Jesus have just made bread fall from heaven? Because in John 6, he says, I am the bread from heaven. But he didn't do it. That's not what he did. He had the power to produce the bread. If he had that power, he obviously had the power to pass it out as well. Instead, he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the crowd. Earlier, Jesus told the disciples to give the people something to eat, and now they were doing it. They couldn't provide food for themselves. Only Jesus could do that. But there were some things that they could do. And that's the same for you and me. There's some things that we can do. They, they could recognize people's needs. 
They brought them to Jesus. They could give Jesus what they had, the loaves and the fish, and they could give away what Jesus provided. Thus, the people would be fed through their ministry. And that's the way all ministry works. To your children, to your parents, to your neighbor, to one another. Our loaves and fishes, the talents and giftings that the Lord gave us, listen, they pale in comparison to the ministry need that God has called us to. They are not adequate. I was thinking about this in terms of my job. There are some very gifted speakers out there. Gigantic churches. I sometimes will, after I preach my sermon, go hear how, I'll just pick a name, Alistair Begg preached the same sermon. It's so discouraging, by the way. (laughs) But you know what? Pick your favorite preacher, big name preacher. With all his gifting, he is inadequate. Utterly inadequate to do the job that God called him to do. If we focus on our abilities and resources, you know, what's gonna, you know what the end result's going to be? Discouragement. We'll be completely discouraged. Rather, what we do is trust God that Jesus through His Holy Spirit is going to provide what we cannot. And so this miracle is virtually a parable for Christian ministry. From time to time, we see what people need, spiritually and otherwise. Whatever we have to give is woefully inadequate. But we offer our time, our talents, and the best that we're able to give. And you know what? Jesus takes it, and by the supernatural power of His grace, He uses it to help people. He also uses us in the process so that we join in the work of His kingdom. Have you ever thought, He does the work, and we get the rewards in heaven, and He gets the glory? Sounds like a Ponzi scheme somehow, doesn't it? (laughs) No, I mean, that's the way it works. God is so good. He tells you to do something impossible. And then when you start doing something impossible, He rewards it through His might. And then He rewards you in heaven. But when when you get to heaven and even here on earth, He gets all the glory because we know it's from Him. Only God can do that. This is what the apostles experienced in the early church. God gave them gifts of preaching, prayer, and evangelism, and in their own strength, they would have accomplished nothing for all their gifts. But they offered themselves in ministry to the service of Jesus Christ, and they spread the gospel through the whole known world. Twelve fishermen, tax collectors, whatever else. Amazing, isn't it? We need to remember that we have the same privilege today. God is using us to teach His Word, share the Gospel, demonstrate the love of Christ through deeds of mercy. And even if we don't feel like we have very much to offer, God will multiply our ministry. Well, there's one lesson that's more valuable than all of them. I want to give that to you. The one reason that this miracle is such a special place in the hearts of God's people is it speaks to so many of us about our needs. But after everything else has been said about this passage, the main lesson is 
We need Jesus. The miraculous feeding of 5,000 met people's physical needs. In fact, in John, once they tasted the bread Jesus provided, they wanted to eat it all the time. Read John 6, because they followed him around the Sea of Galilee the next morning wanting breakfast. Not kidding. Read it. By feeding the 5,000, Jesus is teaching us to find our life in Him. We could probably infer this from the Gospel of Luke. In case there's any doubt, the Gospel of John makes it explicit. Listen to what John says. The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's what Jesus said about Himself. Then He says, two verses later, I am the bread of life. He goes on to say a few verses later, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus is our nourishment and provision, our sustenance and satisfaction. That's in him, in him alone. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, the heart of man can never be satisfied with the things of this world. It is always empty, hungry, thirsty, and dissatisfied till it comes to Christ. So true, isn't it? It is in Christ that we have forgiveness of sins, a new relationship with God, and all the other blessings of salvation. And so of all the things that we need to remember and never forget, this is most important, that we have been provided eternal life through Christ crucified. He is the bread of life. So let me wrap this up. God calls us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, doesn't he? This job is far too large for our measly resources. But when we get started doing what he called us to do, when we obey, we suddenly find that it's actually Christ doing the work. We're simply passing out the blessings. We're simply passing out the bread. And when it is done, we get rewarded and Christ gets all the glory. Don't you want to glorify God? Lord, I thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. The feeding of the 5,000 is so familiar to so many Christians. And there's so much that we can learn. I have no idea how many times I've read this feeding of 5,000. Lord, I want to thank you for what you did in my heart this week. It's just so exciting. And I pray, Lord, that you will encourage your saints just to get busy, just to obey you, just to trust you, just to pray to you. And Lord, watch you do what only you can do. Amen.